Welcome to Dispatch In Depth, where we give you the stories behind the science of emergency dispatch. This is an official podcast of the International Academies of Emergency Dispatch, the world's leading authority in dispatch science. I'm your host, Becca Barris, writer and copy editor for the Journal of Emergency Dispatch. In each episode, we'll be bringing you stories of the fascinating people who work in this area. We'll give you their backstory, including how they got there, what they're working on, and what drew them to the field. These are people who represent the cutting edge in emergency dispatch, and I hope you'll join us to hear more about them. Welcome to Dispatch in Depth. Today, I'm so excited to be talking with Ricardo Martinez II, the host and creator of the extremely popular Within the Trenches podcast. Ricardo is a former 911 dispatcher and supervisor of 13 years and is now the head of Within the Trenches Media. In August of 2016, Ricardo started the hashtag IM911 movement that spread from the United States to Canada, the United Kingdom, New Zealand, and Australia. Its popularity and success has brought the thin gold line into the spotlight and opened the eyes of millions to what 911 dispatchers deal with on a daily basis. We'll be talking about how Within the Trenches got started, how it's grown since then, and what it means to emergency dispatchers to have a platform where they can share their stories and connect with their colleagues across continents. Welcome, Ricardo. Hey, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on. It's an honor to have you. I think I can safely say that your podcast, Within the Trenches, is easily the most popular, the most well-known piece of media within 911 Dispatch. Oh, thank you. I, <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. I mean, when I, you know, when I first started all of this, it was, I don't know, it's always been a, a passion and just wanting to share stories. So it's a, but to hear that, you know, that, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And it's, it's, it's well-earned, I think, right? You didn't just waltz up and, you know, be like, this is it. This is the most important podcast in the entire world. Um, <laughs> you definitely, you put the work into it, right? There's, there's been growth, there's been changes. So before we get into all of that, mm-hmm. could you please give us just a quick rundown of your career path? How did you get into 911? Yeah. So, you know, I, it, I kind of fell into it like many, many people in the 911 space. So I was, I was living in Michigan. I was around, 2001 or so and I was just kind of almost at a rock bottom really I, I needed a change and I, I left Michigan to visit my my mom my sisters and my grandmother and just on a whim I just took off and went out there just to visit actually for for a couple of weeks that was that was the goal was just a visit but the universe had some other ideas for me because I ended up staying there for three and a half years and, yeah, that's longer uh, than uh, a couple of weeks, I would say, a right. little bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. You know, like I said, I, ne- I needed some sort of change. I needed to do something. And while being there and just kind of hanging out with family and, and talking about a, uh, a bunch of stuff, time went by pretty fast. Like a month went by and I remember my mom asking me, you think you might want to look for a job because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm living there free. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Pay some rent. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she wanted me to, uh, you know, figure some things out. So up until that point, I only had a couple stores like retail management, uh, one of them being a blockbuster. What? (laughs) If anyone, yes. If anyone remembers (laughs) blockbuster, that was, it was such a fun job. So, you know, up until that point, it was just all customer service. And my mom one day told me that my cousin's husband knew the chief of police 
and there's kind of a long pause so i thought oh awesome for them <laughs> like i didn't know what she was getting at at first and she goes well they're hiring dispatchers and i said okay and she goes maybe you should try it maybe you could do it and i, I remember telling her like I, I don't know anything about 911 except for what i've seen in movies and on tv and you know shatner with rescue 911 that was right, my favorite yeah. show and i thought okay well I'll give it a shot. So I go out and I end up getting an interview and I go in for that interview. And I remember sitting there with the chief of police and the lieutenant, and they were just firing questions at me, question after question after question. And I'm responding as fast as I can and, and feeling awesome. Like, all right, I'm able to keep up with them. Like, this is good because what they were doing was they were testing me. They were trying to see if I could also, you know, handle the pressure of all of the stuff that would end up coming up on a, on a phone call. And I ended up going through the entire interview. And then the last question the chief of police asks me is, uh, what kind of skeletons do you have in your closet? And I remember sitting there and <laughs> I had never been asked that before. So it kind of, I was kind of taken back and I, I, I kind of chuckled and said, what do you mean? And he leans in and looks at me and he says, Ricardo, what type of skeletons do you have in your closet? Because we're going to find them. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, though, right? Like, it's going to be a really chill job. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And without skipping a beat, I, I said to him, well, I stole a car once. And... Uh, he started laughing, looks back at the lieutenant, the lieutenant's laughing, I'm laughing with them, and then he turns back and he says, no, really. And I said, no, really. <laughs> but what I, what I did, though, was I, I explained to them that it was a civil situation. I, it was my own car. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was getting my own car back from kind of a dispute that was going on. So I, I didn't hear from them for about two months, and I thought, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Should, yeah. yeah. Yep. Screwed. I should yeah. not have told that story because I'd never heard anything back. All right. You know, thanks for your time. But one day my grandmother runs in who only really speaks Spanish. Uh, she only spoke a little bit of English, but in Spanish, she's yelling at me that the police are there and then asks me what I did. And <laughs> I stole a car, grandma. You know this. I know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're finally they're finally here to get me. And uh, I, I said, I don't know. I didn't do anything. At least I don't think so. And so she tells me to go outside and it's the chief of police. And he asks me if I still wanted the job. And I said, of course, I still wanted the job. I thought I messed up my chances by telling you that story. He just laughed. And he was like, no, we, we, we like you. That was a good story. Um, you know, it, it, it was a little bit of a risk. He used different words, but he said it was a risk. <laughs> but um, uh, it was it was still good because we just have a lengthy background process. So I ended up getting the job, which was amazing. But, you know, when you get a new job, you, you sometimes think to yourself, well, I'm going to start probably in a couple of days, maybe a week from now, or, or, you know, sometimes later, depending on what their timeline is. And so I asked him, when do I start? And he says, well, you start tonight. <laughs> and <laughs> Oh, okay. Immediately. All right. Do right, I ride with yeah. you or what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you putting me in the back of the car right now? Right, What's going yeah, on yeah, here? Yeah. So I just kind of looked at him and I said, oh, and he goes, you do want the job, right? And I said, no, no, no. I, I, I just wasn't expecting that. And he goes, okay, well, you're, you're working the midnight shift. So mm. here at this little police department, again, this is in Florida and it was the city of Frostproof. And uh, the, the little police department, it's not there anymore. 
the county ended up taking over, they consolidated. But uh, the way we did our shifts there, and it was just, it was one dispatcher doing everything. You know, you're by yourself for eight hours. Mm -hmm. And every two weeks, the schedule would change. So it would be 6 a.m. to 2 p.m., 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., and then 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And yeah, (laughs) yeah, every two weeks, every two weeks it would change. And when you would get to that midnight shift, you actually worked that for a month, which, you know, kind of sucked too, because you would get used to it. Yeah. And then, and then, and then switch it up, switch, right? Yeah. You switch mm-hmm. back to morning shift. So Ugh. it was a, it was a hard shift or a hard switch rather, but it was fun. It was eye opening. But that first night I remember going in and I met my trainer. He was probably in his mid seventies or so, a very well seasoned dispatcher. He was an awesome guy. And I remember him showing me everything, then taking a 911 call. And right after that, he says, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, uh, can I get uh, just a couple more? That would be super nice. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, can I phone a friend? Like, right. Do I have a lifeline here? <laughs> uh, maybe cut it down 50-50. Like, throw me a line here. I'm brand new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought he was joking, but oh, he was not joking. He said to me, just in this just straight face, he says, the only way you're going to get the hang of this is by jumping right in and taking phone calls because that's that's really how you're going to learn. And luckily for me, that next call that came in was uh, it was a misdial. Oh, good. So there, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> there wasn't much to it. But uh, about a week or so later, I ended up doing a 40 hour beginners dispatchers course. Mm-hmm. So that that definitely helped out. But that first night, man, I was freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, that's crazy because that's probably how, you know, your trainer was trained, right? When Mm -hmm. he started, however many years before that, I was just like, all right, show up, figure it out, you know? Right. Yeah. Did you start with the protocols at City of Frostproof or was that or did that come later? You know, that came later, actually, because they didn't do any EMD or anything there because it was a small police department. Like mm-hmm. we we did everything. However, for medicals, when medicals would come in, we would get the pertinent information and then we would transfer it over to central dispatch, which is what we called county radio. Mm. So this would have been Polk County out there that we would send them to. They would do all the EMD and such there with protocols. And then we would just page out for fire rescue. So I didn't have any exposure to that until I ended up moving back home to Southwest Michigan, working for the central dispatch in the county that I actually grew up in. And so it was there that I I ended up going and getting my certification to be, you know, EMD certified and uh, running through protocols that way. Yeah. So in your first job, you were just completely alone then, right? Like, Right. Really, you just have to take calls as they come and be like, well, uh, it kind of makes sense to do this. But, you know, you don't have the experience. You don't have really any of this, the support. That sounds overwhelming. You know, and, and it was at times because, like I said, it was just one person there. And when it would hit the fan, it would hit the fan. Mm-hmm. I, I remember the chair would roll very well. And what I mean by that is like, the you know, the wheels on the chair, we, we had a shelf behind us where when we would have a fire in the orange groves or something, there was a book that we had there. So I remember, I can see it right now and it makes me want to laugh so hard. I can see myself shoving myself, you know, the, the desk so that I could roll, like roll to 
the shelf, grab the book I need, and then push myself to roll back to continue working. <laughs> and I, I got good enough at pushing myself that I would sometimes throw a spin in there to be kind of cool. Yeah, of course. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then spin back. Oh, man, you're making me remember that now. I, I didn't think about that until just now. It was so funny. You know, we would I would be in there by myself and just running everything because for whatever reason, there would be at least once or twice a month a car that would be on fire in the orange groves. And then the owner of the car would call a little bit later saying that their car was stolen. Now, some of those were were legit. They were stolen and burned in the groves. Yeah. Others were actually people who just didn't want to pay. <laughs> they were trying to get the insurance money for Oh my for gosh. It. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff that happened that I thought, no way, like this is, yeah. this is crazy. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, you, you think there's no way that that's real. There's no way that that's actually happening. And also, but also who would make something like that up? Like, right, yeah. People's minds are just absolutely unparalleled and it is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It definitely is. There's a lot of those moments where I just thought, is this real life? I did not think that 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 this is what this job was going to be like, but it was, it was just so interesting. And I'm so, you know, fascinated by people's stories and, you know, just some of the calls that would come in that it was a job that I fell in love with right away. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you went back to Michigan, you mm -hmm. were a supervisor for a while. So you were QE, you were reviewing calls. And so then is that about the time when you got interested in podcasting? Yeah, it was. So I, I moved back and uh, ended up working for you know the county that I grew up in uh, out in Allegan. This is in southwest Michigan. And so the whole west side of the county, I, I pretty much I knew the whole area because that was my old stomping grounds. That's where I grew up. But, you know, when you're working in an area that uh, that you grew up in like that, you end up taking calls from people or for people that, you know. Mm. So, you know, that that adds another layer especially to the, the emotional stress of the job. When my grandmother passed away, I took that phone call. Oh, and gosh. it was, it, what are the odds that yeah. I would be the one to end up taking that phone call? But it, you know, years later, and I'm telling a friend about this, and he says, you know, what a blessing. And I remember thinking, what are you talking about? Like, I, I took the phone call when my grandmother passed away. But I had to think about it a little bit. And then I realized, yeah, it, it was a blessing in a way because, she was there for me when I was born. So it was fitting that I was there for her when she passed. Yeah. So it was it was interesting being there. But, you know, I, it also during that time, I actually hit my burnout stage. Mm. You know, I, I loved what I was doing. The people that I worked with, not just in dispatch, but those out on the road as well. And I wanted to help, of course, anyone who called in. But with county politics and being so short staffed and the amount of overtime, like just the morale for everyone, not just myself, was was so low. But I had hit that burnout. I was trying to figure out how do I, you know, ignite my my flame for 911 again. This this job that I love, that I have this passion for, how do I get this back? So I went back to school, <laughs> which is probably a weird thing, but I went back to school and every big project that I had, I was including some of my coworkers and I, and I was doing these projects 
based on dispatch yeah. and, and, and public safety. And that is actually how I got my my flame back. I was able hmm. to reignite it. So a job that seemed like it was killing me at the time is also one that saved me yeah. because I was pouring all of my, you know, creative juices, you know, all these thoughts and everything into these projects, but having to do with 911, because up to that point, you know, I would go to get my haircut and people would ask, so what do you do? And I would think in my head, do I want to say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then I would, and they would say, oh, that sounds like a, an interesting job. What is the craziest call you've taken? What's the worst call? You know, you get all these questions and I'll be honest in the beginning, it kind of annoyed me. Mm. However, I ended up flipping my mindset because people are just naturally curious and they just don't know. So instead I thought, you know what, some of these projects, I'm going to turn it into public education. Yeah. So I'm going to switch my mindset. I'm not going to be annoyed because they just want to know. And I want to, I want to help them understand what it is like to not only answer a call, but why we do what we do. Mm -hmm. If you're calling into 911 and I put you on hold, there's a reason. It's not because I don't want to take your call. There's a reason for it. So I, I wanted to do this. And it started out with a, a project in 2010. It was a video that I created. And I had a couple co-workers share how they got into 911, their worst call, their best call, and why they do what they do. And it, it blew my professor and classmates' minds away because they had no idea what dispatch was all about. And I ended up getting an A in, <laughs> for oh, that project. Yes. <laughs> and and I thought, you know, it, I think I got something here. So yeah. I ended up blogging and it was the first iteration really of Within the Trenches. I called this written segment that Within the Trenches. And the reason for the name was I was sitting in dispatch on phones and it was crazy in there. It was just nuts. And I remember having just a split second to be able to take a breath and look over my console at everyone else working like crazy. And I remember thinking, man, I feel like I'm in a, a battle zone here or something with all these phone calls that are coming in. I feel like I'm, you know, within the trenches of 911. And I remember sitting there and thinking, I think I'm going to keep that name. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> that's kind of cool. So, you know, from there, the the last degree that I ended up getting in journalism, that's when they introduced us to podcasting. It, it was mm. kind of a long way to get there, but I had to give that backstory because that's really how I got into podcasting was first through those beginning, those very first projects from 2010 on. And they introduced us into podcasting and just fell in love with that form of storytelling and wanted to bring dispatchers on to be able to share their stories as well. Because for me, I buried my calls and yeah. I, I needed a, a way to share them. So through writing and through sharing them on the podcast, it was therapeutic. So I thought if it was therapeutic for me, it might be therapeutic for them as well and others to listen. So that's how everything started coming together for Within the Trenches podcast. That's incredible. I like that it took a while for you to get to that point rather than you know, just hearing about podcasts and saying, oh, well, let me do a podcast because it is it is a process. It's a process of healing. It's a process of discovery. And I think it I think it really shows in your intention in the podcast as well. 
So how has your process or format for the podcast changed over the years? For example, you do video now, whereas before it was just, you know, audio for the podcast. And then also you have different kinds of episodes like Imagine Listening and Open Mic and Dispatcher's Roundtable. So how have you grown? How have you changed the podcast? Oh, man. Just thinking about it now, you know, when I first started out, this is going to be now probably 2012 going into 2013. I didn't have the equipment I have now for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I needed to do is I needed to crowdfund what I was trying to do. And I had recorded the first couple episodes on just some you know, microphones and this speaker actually that, that I could hook into my laptop and have the microphone. So everything was straight up just like DIY yeah. on it. And so, you know, thinking about how things have changed, the audio quality has definitely changed. <laughs> no, that, that can't be true. <laughs> uh, I, there are actually some reviews on some of the platforms that say, why is this in mono and not stereo? Like the first few episodes. And I can't, I can't respond to them because it doesn't give you the option, but I want to respond to them and say, Hey, this is how it started out. Like, yeah, listen, listen to a couple episodes like later. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It started out, you know, small and in, in the crowdfunding, it, it was Kickstarter that I went to. So you, pitch the idea to them. And if they give you the green light, they also give you the space on their website to put it out there for people. Mm -hmm. So I put it out there and actually in the description back in 2012, everything I'm doing now, I described then of what I wanted to do with this project, that there would be some sort of live stream. The thing though, that kind of hurt a lot of that in the beginning was that the internet was not as fast as it is now. So yeah. doing live broadcasts, I do have the very first version of the Dispatcher's Roundtable back in 2014. I did one episode, mm -hmm. and I think it's episode 43. And I didn't do it again, though, because there were so many other episodes that I was doing that was all audio. But again, you know, the, things have changed throughout the years. They, they've evolved. But from the beginning and that description it's all in there back in, in 2012. It's just taken this long to 2021 for all the pieces to finally come together and just fit. It has been a journey. It has been an experience, but it has been an amazing one. Yeah, it's really inspiring to me. Very, very encouraging to see that you had this huge idea for this podcast, for this kind of connection platform for emergency dispatchers and you did what you could with what you had at the time. And as time has gone on, as the internet has gotten better, you've been able to add more pieces to that and fulfill more parts of that vision. And that's, that. I don't know, that's just really encouraging to me to know that even if you have this big idea and it doesn't all work out all at once, there's time. You don't have to have all of it all at once. You can add pieces here and there as you go on. I don't know. I just, I really like that. Thank you. Yeah, it it has definitely <laughs> taken a while to evolve. And there would be times where I would be just uh, just thinking about what it is that I was doing. And, uh, you know, sometimes those you, know, you look at the analytics and that can bring you down. Yeah. But as long as you go back to why you started in the first place 
and that it's not about numbers, it's not about anything else, what you're doing is is a passion, people will gravitate to it because yeah. you know you're being genuine about mm-hmm. it. You know, you're sharing these important stories. And there is power in storytelling. And and I've been doing it for a while now. And it's just been amazing to have people come on, share their story, and then just feel good about it, you know, and, and be proud of what it is that they do, because there's a lot of times that people get jaded and stuff and they're like, oh, I'm just doing this job. I'm just doing this or that. But then, you know, you talk to them later on after they've shared a story or something. And, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll say out loud, not all the time, but sometimes they'll say, you know, I, I do love what I do like that. That was good. So yeah. it, it's been awesome. Yeah. And to be able to share with other people who understand, right? Mm-hmm. Because for me, I've I've never been a dispatcher. You know, I've toured dispatch centers and listened to calls, but it's nowhere near what emergency dispatchers are doing every day. And so I feel like sharing your dispatch experiences with other people who've had those experiences or have had similar enough experiences that they can imagine what you've gone through. Mm-hmm. I imagine that would be really healing as well. It, it has definitely been healing, not just for myself, but for a lot of those who've come on and uh, you know, those who are, who are listening who have not come on to share their story. I've gotten emails before just kind of explaining that and those in the general public as well. A good friend of mine in the beginning, he, he lives out in, in Hawaii. I remember he started listening to like the first five episodes or something and he sent me a message and he said, thank you you know, for, for doing this. And he said he was in an accident, just a minor accident. And uh, he was put on hold after calling 911. And he Mm. said he was really upset about it. But after listening to the first few episodes, he's not going to be upset if he's put on hold when calling into 911, because now he understands that there's a lot more going on than really just his emergency. 911 doesn't stop. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I know that dispatchers get the question, what's the funniest call or your most memorable call? So I'm kind of going to do the same thing with your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) What's one of the most memorable episodes um, you've recorded? So there are there are many, many episodes like I, I recently recorded episode 400 yeah so there yeah there, there are many <laughs> there are many to to think about and go back on one of the ones that i i really push is uh, my guest was steve souter and he's the the former director out of fairfax county virginia and he, he's still in public safety space and, and doing a lot of things but you know he's he is retired from there he was on episode 80 and he has a phenomenal story where his first day in dispatch was the day that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Oh, gosh. And so, you know, that happened in one spot. And Steve was in a, a different area completely. This was when the D.C. riots broke out, you know, a few hours after the assassination. And that was his first day. Oh, my gosh. In dispatch on radios yeah on radios and he was there for a few days he didn't even go home he told me that when he went in they said well you've you've worked the radio before and he goes yes i I have and they said okay there's your basically your piece of paper and pencil and go listen to the radio and take down times and what's going on there and so he did then that happened 
the DC riots broke out and he was in dispatch the rest of that time. But that was his his entry, his welcome to dispatch. Oh my <laughs> that gosh. That was his first day. <laughs> so listening to him tell this, I think we spoke for about an hour and a half because he had more stories. And you know, I always try to when I'm when I've got the conversation going, to compare a little bit to some of the things that I have done just to, you know, to be able to relate and and for the guests to you know, feel a little more comfortable sharing more stories. But with this, there was nothing that yeah. I had to compare. And I, I remember when it was finally my turn to speak, I, I basically did the Keanu Reeves, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah. What do you say, right? Like, thank you for your service, mostly, but like, right. Oof. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that that one is a, is a very memorable one. Every Imagine Listening session mm. is memorable as well. Now, for, for those who are listening, if you do end up listening to the podcast and you hear one of those Imagine Listening sessions, there is a warning at the beginning because some of the, well, a lot of the stories are pretty tough to hear, but they're reality. It's what 911 dispatchers and call takers go through, and they're sharing these stories to be able to to get it off their chest because a lot of them were like me in the beginning they were bearing these calls and they're finally getting a chance to share these stories with those that are around them whether it be virtually or in person in person is what you know how we've been doing them since 2017 mm. and those stories are just so powerful and there are some saves in there as well. But I tell you, you you were in there. You were in one of the sessions. Yeah. And it's hard to describe what it's like during Imagine Listening for those first 30 minutes when those stories are coming out because there's dispatchers and call takers in there who are also, you know, they're, they're emotional. They're, people are crying. Mm -hmm. and But we're finding, you know, some form of closure as well as healing together in support of each other while sharing those stories. But those those are memorable as well. Every one of those Imagine Listening sessions have just been just so good. Yeah. So like you said, I was at the one it Navigator uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago. And mm -hmm. I, I've never been anywhere like that in my entire life. I think the closest thing... I can compare it to is is like a church meeting, right? Is there's just yeah. this, there's no there's this feeling of like vulnerability and trust with the people in the room, but then also mm -hmm. uh, just like a a deep sadness, a deep grief, but also the sanctity of trust, right? This yeah, I'm I'm sharing this story, and maybe I haven't said this out loud before, but I know that these are people who will understand and who will support me, and this this is a safe place for this to happen. Yeah, it was incredible. It was unlike anything else I've ever been to. I'm glad that you were able to be in there and experience it. Because like I said, it's it's hard to describe sometimes what it's like being in that room, but you can definitely feel the energy mm -hmm. and everyone is there, you know, no, no judgment, no nothing. Yeah. It's just sharing these stories. And uh, it, it's basically like a peer support type session as well, because, mm -hmm. you know, we're sharing all of these stories and they're also episodes. So, you know, people get to hear them later on 
and really get something out of them as well. Right. And I do recommend listening to an open mic episode right after Imagine Listening. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> because yeah. because that's how the session was formatted, right? It has the Imagine Listening. It has the really hard, the heavy stuff. And then you kind of flip the switch and say, OK, now we're going to we're going to talk about the funny calls. And you. Oh, my gosh. Ricardo, you need that. And I don't have to tell you because, you know, but like after half an hour of just these stories and they keep coming and coming and coming and you're crying and everyone around you is crying. You need that levity, that reminder that there's another side to this. This isn't Mm -hmm. just all terrible calls. It's also hilarious ones. Yes. When I first started doing this back in 2017, it was a way to share more I Am 901 stories. I wanted them to get out there to all those who listen to the podcast. So I thought, well, maybe I'll turn this into a session that I'll I'll take across the country to different conferences and see how it goes. And it started out at a conference in Indiana. And uh, I remember sitting there and I just I kept thinking in my head, oh, man, I can't even you know, for some people, they won't be able to even imagine listening this mm. or imagine listening that. And I thought, oh, there's my name. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to use that as the name for it. Imagine yeah. listening, because that's exactly what I want people to do is to mm-hmm. imagine listening to something like this. And uh, I wanted to make sure that it did not end on a, you know, kind of a hard note. So I wanted to add in the the open mic part because laughter is good medicine. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, after after going through that, like you said, <laughs> through the hard part, you are definitely ready to to laugh and share the lighter side of dispatch. But that first session, I asked if anyone had a story they wanted to share. And the room was packed, like standing room only there in Indiana. And not one person wanted to say anything out loud. So what I said to them just on the fly, I said, if you have a piece of paper, and you want to write your story down, write your story down, and I will read it for you. Mm-hmm. A good friend of mine was co-hosting with me. I had him come up, and I told him my idea and what I was trying to do. And he goes, all right, I'll help you out. So I said, we'll read the story for you. And the amount of ripping of paper that you heard, people passing sheets down to others, and they're just writing and writing and writing. And then one person stood up took the microphone, shared a story, and all it took was for that one person Mm -hmm. because then more wanted to say it out loud. And we had tons that were written down that we read. And it was was just such a success. It wasn't what I expected at first because I knew there would be some hesitation because it was something nobody was doing, but it ended up just being amazing. And people were sharing all types of stories and then we get to the funny part and then it just exploded from there. And uh, it was it was so much fun. And I've been doing it ever since. Yeah. And I'm glad. And I really like the idea of having people write down their stories. Right. Because mm-hmm. a lot of dispatchers I've talked with are really comfortable being, you know, off camera off the mic, they don't really want that attention on them, right? And so to give them the option of saying, hey, you don't have to be the one to tell the story with your own voice, but if you want to get it out there anyway, let me help you do that. And that's exactly why. Because I remember talking to some people beforehand and they said, I don't know that I'll be able to say this story out loud. And uh, I said, well, we'll figure it out. We'll figure something out. And that's, you know, when when we got in there, that was the idea was to have them write it down. We would read it for them. And it, it definitely helped out. There have been a lot of times where I've read a story and I've made eye contact with the person who wrote it. And we just kind of nod. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I thank them for, for sharing their story. And it's, 
I know I keep using the same word, but it's it's been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's been powerful. It's been really good. Well, good. Good. We're going to wrap up here. Sure. And so, Ricardo, what's one thing that you'd like listeners uh, to take away from this episode, to take away from your experiences? You know, I guess one thing that I'd like people to, you know, take away from this and, and definitely for looking at my experience is that when you think about the phone calls that you're taking, these are, these are your stories. Every single phone call that you take is another story in your career. And it's an important one. And if you haven't spoken to someone about them, try it because it'll definitely help. I was one of those who buried my calls, as I said earlier, and I thought I was leaving everything at the center, which was BS because I was still bringing it home and me being silent or distant, and I just didn't know how to get it out. So it's okay to not be okay. And to be able to, if you need help, ask. There's courage in asking. It's not looking weak. I know that there's that stigma, but we are doing everything we can to break it. And there's a power in storytelling, as I've said before, and I will always say it, just keep broadcasting your message. Just keep sharing your stories and doing what you do as the most vital piece of public safety. Well, I, I couldn't have said it better than that. Thank you so much, Ricardo. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so Thank much you. for taking the time to be a guest on the podcast today. As always, I will be posting relevant links in the show notes. And if you have any ideas for topics or guests, go ahead and email us at dispatchindepth at emergencydispatch.org. And if you want to get in touch with Ricardo, if you're like, listen, I don't really want to talk to you, Becca. I kind of want to just go straight to Ricardo himself. You can do that, too. <laughs> you can go ahead and email him at wttpodcast at gmail.com. And I will also be putting links to Within the Trenches in the show notes as well. And Ricardo, I hope to collaborate again with you soon. All right. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks for listening to Dispatch in Depth. Remember, it really helps if you rate and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Dispatch in Depth is hosted by me, Becca Barris. I'm also the technical director and producer, and Matthew Maiko is the executive producer. 